Welcome to another episode of Fill in the Blank Podcast. I'm here with my friend Harry. Robleski, right? Robleski. There we go. Got it. Okay, so Harry, you know what we're talking about today? Yeah, we're doing a uh, fill, in the, fill in the blank on puppetry today. Puppetry. That's right. So tell me about your experience with puppetry, because in my idea of it, it's definitely been used through history, multiple in different scenarios, mostly Western type movies. You see the box theater set and then the yeah. guy trying to get money with little like marionette statues or something like that. But a lot of people, when you see them now in common days, if you're not a famous comedian, you kind of get made fun of or looked at as some type of like psychopath. In some cases, yeah. Uh, it, it depends on the person, how you, ho- how you hold yourself as a person. Um, puppetry's been going strong since the dawn of mankind, realistically. As long as somebody has had a stick, ooh, as long as somebody's had a stick, they've had a puppet, basically, if you think about it that way. Um, the earliest puppetry that's actually documented, besides, like, you know, people that are just in the streets with dolls doing shows, uh, was, I mentioned it in the last time that I was here, Punch and Judy. Mm-hmm. And it was literally just um, a street thing where they had like a box theater, a big tall one, like human-sized. And a guy was just behind the curtain with puppets, and it was Punch, the uh, man, Judy, the female. And there was, um, they had a dog at some point, and they had the devil. And it was kind of like a big thing, because they would teach morals about how to treat each other and how to uh, live in God's eye, which was... Kind of neat back then. So who are your, uh, some influences that you can think of when it comes to any idea of puppets? From hand puppets to, that, I mean, there's multiple variations. Yeah. When it comes to uh, puppets in general, um, like hand puppets, marionettes, Jim Henson, uh, the creator of the Muppets and Kermit the Frog, he's the person that He also really, did Fraggle Rock. He did. Uh, he did a lot of great stuff in his time. Um, he had his hand in The Dark Crystal, which is an amazing fantasy movie if you haven't seen it. Mm-mm fantastic um he also had his hand in uh uh labyrinth which was really good it had david bowie in it now when you say he had his hand in it's not like he has his hand in the puppet he has his hand in that he had his hand he, he in had, he had making his, the world yeah a little add a little spice to the mix well both the labyrinth and the dark crystal were uh, the brainchild of the development team therein um matter of fact uh, Toby from the Labyrinth. If anyone's listening then, and they know what I'm talking about, this is awesome. But um, they had cast a baby for the Labyrinth because the, the Goblin King, Jareth, played by David Bowie, um, kidnapped a baby from a young lady and went to the Goblin's Kingdom, which was basically at the end of this big giant labyrinth. And um, the baby that they cast for the movie was the director's movie, Brian Froud. It was uh, his baby named the baby Toby. The baby in the film's name is Toby. And he's like, this is just perfect. I'm in. I'm in for this. So Toby Froud is uh, still going strong with puppetry, actually. That's that's cool, because I got got a few names down. Jim Hansen, um, Bill Baird, uh, who did Charlemagne the Lion. Yeah. And then we got Sherry Lewis, who had her own show, which is called The Sherry Lewis Show, but she did a couple little kid shows, too. Yeah. And we got Frank Oz. Oh, uh, God, yeah. Who, who did Miss Piggy, Fozzie Bear, you know. Animal. And Yoda. Yeah. And um, he was on Muppets and Sesame Street. He also did Cookie Monster and mm-hmm. Bert and Grover. Um, Jerry Nelson did Sesame Street, Muppets, and Fraggle Rock. And then we have famous people that play in today, like Terry Fader and Jeff Dunham, who, you know, you see mostly Jeff Dunham on comedy specials still doing the idea of ventriloquism. Kind of going into a little bit different from puppetry. 
Oh, wow, you've actually got a whole thing printed out. I like Oh, this. yeah, I told you I had documents, bro. <laughs> I, I did my research. Did you actually know that um, puppets have been used for crimes recently? Uh, West Palm, Florida, homeless man used the human skull as a puppet that was real from a nearby forest. The act was done to walk into a grocery store and be arrested. He did it purposely to look like an insane person to get arrested. Just yeah, I did hear about that. That is really fucked up. <laughs> Well, but it is hilarious. Mostly you think, it, like, when it comes down to the fact if someone is going to use a puppet for a crime, now, there's a couple acts, actually, that Congress has passed where you cannot put the blame on the puppet. Mm -hmm. Even if the person has psychological problems, the person who controls it basically has to be deemed responsible. Because there's been multiple acts where someone's acted like the puppets had a mind of their own, whether they were acting or whether they truly meant what was happening. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to that, I mean, I think that's, that sounds a little bit ridiculous, but I mean, it, that borders along the lines of insanity and how someone looks and perceives something as real. Because what a lot of us don't know is humans need a... So we have a social skill that needs to be filled. Yeah. Um, if you don't end up having a social skill, a more common way to be, uh, how you would say, uh, not crazy, would be to have a puppet and do that. That's seen a little bit more less, I guess, stigmatized, rather yeah. than if you're talking and answering yourself. Even though you're doing it in the same way, you have a form or figure object that you're talking to, which is seemed as less crazy in society's eyes. Yeah, you're associating the puppet as opposed to being an extension of your body, but it's a separate person, which helps you to converse with it and make conversation. Well, besides our own thoughts on puppetry, let's get to, down to the facts of puppetry. So puppetry is a form of theater or performance that involves the manipulation of puppets, inanimate objects often resembling some type of human or animal figure that are animated or manipulated by a human called a puppeteer. Such a performance is also known as puppet play. Uh, there's multiple terms for puppet play. Um, the one I'm thinking of is not uh, very for the kids. It's more adult version. Yeah, um, no. The, the puppeteer uses movements of her hands, arms, or control devices such as rods or strings to move the body, head, limbs, and in some cases the mouth and eyes of the puppet. The puppeteer often speaks in the voice of the character of the puppet and then synchronizes the movements of the puppet's mouth with this spoken part. The actions, gestures, and spoken parts acted out by the puppets are typically used in storytelling. First off, I want to give a big respect to these people that do do puppetry, mm -hmm. because where I thought it was just kind of like a ridiculous thing at first, and then you educated me more on it, but now we're going to actually educate a full topic on it. The skill of multitasking. Yes. You have a lot of moving parts. Like Even um, I watched Jeff Dunham's, I watched all of his comedy specials that are now on Netflix in preparation for this. Yeah. And um, yeah, I do my research, bro. You're good. I like this. But um, I, I'm just interested in what people are interested in. And I saw he was trying to make the guitar guy laugh in his Christmas special. And he eventually lost place where he was, but he still kept the idea of Ahmed still cracking his jokes and being able yeah. to slip into that personality, which takes years and years of training. You can't just walk up on set and oh, do no. that. So there are many different varieties of puppets, and they are made of a wide range of materials depending on their form and intended use. They can be extremely complex or very simple in their construction. 
The simplest puppets are finger puppets, which are tiny puppets that fit onto a single finger, and sock puppets, which are formed from a sock and operated by inserting one's hand inside the sock, with an opening and closing of the hand stimulating the movement of the puppet's mouth. So, much like we know, our kindergarten teachers have given us little finger puppets, or those little eraser things we could put yeah. on our fingers look like monsters. It's really, a, it's, it's, it's a very simple distraction for young children, and it's also a way to pass the time, much like twiddling your thumbs or a Rubik's Cube. Fidget spinners. Oh, yeah, fidget spinners, the aggressiveness (laughs) of those things. So a hand puppet is controlled by one hand, which accompanies the other inside the interior of the puppet and moves the puppet around. Punch and Judy puppets are familiar examples of hand puppets. A live hand puppet is similar to a hand puppet, but is larger and requires two puppeteers for each puppet. Marionettes are suspended and controlled by a number of strings, plus sometimes a central rod attached to a controlling bar held from above the puppeteer. So when they were talking about the live puppets, Mm -hmm. um, the one that takes more than one puppeteer to kind of move, that I remember seeing in a movie called Forgetting Sarah Marshall, where they had the Dracula musical. And they had the wires and sticks attached to the puppet, but there were two people that were controlling each puppet. But each one was like, they were all wearing black skin-tight clothes, so you couldn't see them or see their clothing. And they looked like it was just the puppet actually moving while the light was focused on the puppet. So that's common uses of it today in popular culture. So have you seen, um, you've seen The Muppet Show, I'm assuming, at least like a couple episodes. So you know um, The Swedish Chef. Yes. The Swedish Chef is similar to that. He's a live hand puppet, so it is a hand up there inside of the head. And his hands are actual human hands. So there's two puppeteers on the Swedish chef Mm -hmm. at all times. You've got one person that has the head and one arm, usually the right arm and the left hand and the head. And you've got a second puppeteer around the other side doing just the other arm. So it's similar to that concept with that. So people think this is like a relatively, like, came out in like the 1800s, but actually came out a long, long time before that. Mm -hmm. So puppetry is a very ancient form of theater which was first recorded in the 5th century BC in ancient Greece. Some forms of puppetry have many originated as long as 3,000 years BC. Puppetry takes many forms, but they all share the process of animating inanimate performing objects to tell a story. Puppets occur in almost all human societies where puppets are used for the purpose of entertainment through performance, sacred objects and rituals, symbolic effigies, and celebrations such as carnivals, and a catalyst for social and psychological change in transformative arts. Some common practices we would see that in would be psychology, using Mm -hmm. a a sock puppet or some type of puppet to kind of talk to yourself. Um, A TV show that uses a good reference to a puppet. I'm pretty sure you know the name. It's a horror show. Yeah. Ash vs. Evil Dead. Ash vs. Evil Dead. Um, it's all kinds of puppets in horror movies, actually, which is really great. Um, it's It seems like, like the movie Idol of Hands was a form of puppetry, more like it was just the, the hand looking like it was supposed to be controlled by the devil, so it would look at him like this, and it would kill his whole family while he slept, and he yeah. chopped it off, and it was like... It's been a big influence. A lot of the stuff, it's the whole idea of ritualistic stuff, too, with um, using it as symbols for, you know, puppets being like voodoo dolls going down that line. But sticking more on the aspect of um, puppetry, it seems like there's actually a lot of racist allegations for puppets that have been reported. Did you know that? People blaming the puppet for their words or having the puppet say racist things and saying, it wasn't me, it was the puppet. Well, God, Jeff Dunham actually was under fire for that a long while back. He made, um, what was his name, Sweet Daddy something or other? Sweet Daddy P. Sweet Daddy P. Um, people, uh, African-American people, were actually in an uproar because of how racist the figure was. 
and since he premiered in the one special that he was in, he pretty much hasn't been in any media since. You know what's crazy is that he didn't get a lot of backfire for Ahmed. Exactly. And that was uh, probably because of 9-11. Pretty much. A lot of people don't seem to really care too much about Islamic racism or like the most common forms of racism like black racism or Asian racism, something we have yeah. a high population of that influences our society in a way. So the whole need behind it, in my opinion, is the need for social interaction. Uh, if you grow up alone, let's say, like, you, did you have a lot of friends when you were a kid? Oh, yeah. You had a lot of friends? Definitely. Okay, well, that kind of knocks out my theory, basically. But, <laughs> like, uh, it seems like a lot of people that get really inspired to get into puppetry seem to have, like, the basic needs of, like, not really having a whole lot of friends, so creating your own friends. Jeff Dunham's story bases around that. He wasn't the popular kid in school, but then he created a ventriloquist dummy, and next thing you know, it's in all his family photos. It literally became a part of him and a part of his family. Well, I got into the whole thing when I was a kid, so starting at, like, age three to five, I just started getting hand puppets uh, for Christmas presents and You were never holidays. looked at as the weird kid with the puppets? I didn't bring them to school. <laughs> Well, that's a smart thing to do, but you never had probably friends over. You hit them in the closet or something, right? I had Not them your all friends on. with the puppets. Yeah, no, I don't put my friends in the closet. Um, no, I actually have, um, I still have the box from when I was a kid. I have this big, giant uh, plastic trunk that I would keep all my puppets inside of, and I'd have my ventriloquist dummy sitting on top of it, and everything would just be neatly put away in the box. And you would have friends that would spend the night? Occasionally, yeah. I yeah. didn't have a lot of sleepovers. They wouldn't act. Yeah, okay, that's probably why. <laughs> Among other reasons. Okay. Well, puppetry is a very ancient form. Um, like I said, it's supposed to have originated 4,000 years ago. Puppets have been used from the earliest times to animate and communicate the ideas and needs of human societies. Some historians claim that they predate actors in theater. There is evidence that they were used in Egypt as early as 2000 BCE when string-operated figures of wood were manipulated to perform the action of kneading bread. Wire-controlled articulated puppets made of clay and ivory have been found in Egyptian tombs. Mm -hmm. Hieroglyphs also describe walking statues being used in ancient Egyptian religious dramas. Puppetry was practiced in ancient Greece, and the oldest written records of puppetry can be found in the works of Herodotus and Xenophon, dating from the 5th century BCE. So, why is talking to an animate object seem like crazy than talking to oneself? You believe that was the idea of its creation? That's my big question I have to ask. The idea of its creation was, in my opinion, more along the lines of entertainment. Uh, you have a person that's not a person that you can entertain other people with. Um, in my case, I thought you were drinking a beer for like five seconds. So, jeez. It's a Coke. <laughs> the can confused me. When people started bringing puppets into the equation, um, it was more along the lines of a way for, like how we have cartoons, or how we had cartoons when we were kids growing up, even. This was their um, form of cartoons? This was their form of cartoons growing up, because back in the early days, they didn't really have a lot of entertainment. You either sat in ho at home reading your, reading your tome books, or you were out in the street playing spinny stick. I, I don't know, it was like a spin wheel thing that you hit it with a stick and it went. But you didn't really have a lot of things to do back then. And back in the early days, there weren't a lot of ways to make money as well. So a lot of street performers would pick up an instrument or a puppet and go out and make a couple of gold pieces. I would... See, my interpretation of how the puppet tree even started in the first place was some guy, one of the very first people on this earth, 
like imagine being alone and being like mistreated kind of from a group and mm-hmm. then he was just sitting there talking to himself and then decided to talk to a stick or talk to something that was an object and then eventually it evolved into something where we've gone down the line to more progressive things. He's like, you know what? This this isn't that bad. Let me just put a face on here and I'm going to call it a day. Who's the biggest inanimate object in a television kid series that you could think of right now? And biggest I, I guarantee object. you are my big blue house. Ari can already tell you, mine's Plank from Ed, Ed, and Eddie. Oh, I thought you meant like an inanimate object, like a puppet. Uh, um, as far as inanimate objects, jeez. No, Plank is the only one I can think Everybody of. Everybody knows Johnny 2x4. I was Everybody. talking to a piece of wood. And no one saw him as crazy. Actually, people started believing that Plank could talk back. There's a so big it was like, theory. There's an idea of social... Um, like Plank had a family and everything, too. Yeah. He had two giant 2x4 family. And they actually they proved it. I watched a video about this like last week. No, No kidding. Um, they proved it in a matter of uh, five episodes that Plank is a sentient, moving creature, whether or not the audience or the other people of the cul-de-sac recognize it. It's crazy. That whole show's got a big back history. It does. So let's talk about where puppets originated in Africa. So sub-Saharan Africa may have inherited some of the puppet traditions of ancient Egypt. Certainly secret societies and many African ethnic groups still use puppets and masks in ritual dramas as well in their healing and hunting ceremonies. Today, puppetry continues as a popular form, often with a ceremonial context and as a part of wide range of folk forms, including dance, storytelling, and mass performance. In the 2010s throughout rural Africa, puppetry still performs the function of transmitting cultural values and ideas that in large African cities is increasingly undertaken by formal education, books, cinema, and television. So the whole idea of, of this, it's, 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 it seems like it's used in Africa as more as a, realist, a ritualistic and religious spiritual teachings um, based on their culture or heritage of a traditional or formalistic ritual. So, you know, that whole idea. What would you write down? Uh, uh, Just a note for later. Edgar Bergen. I don't know if he's going to be in this, but he's definitely a good topic. So, Asia. Let's talk about East and Southeast and South Asia. There's a slight evidence for puppetry in the Indus Valley civilization. Archaeologists have unearthed one terracotta doll with a detachable head capable of manipulation by a string dating to 2500 B.C., Another figure is a terracotta monkey, which could be manipulated up and down a stick, achieving minimum animation in both cases. The epic Mahabharata, Tamil literature from the Sangram era, and various literature works dating from the late centuries BC to the early centuries AD, including Ashokan edicts and described puppets works like the Nada Shasta and the Kamusta elaborate on puppetry in some detail. So these are real, are ritualistic books in Asia. I definitely probably got the names wrong, but um, it's like they're very hard to pronounce. It's just their culture. Mm-hmm. But the Javanese Weiyang theater was influenced by Indian traditions. So some scholars trace the origin of puppets to India four thousand years ago, where the main character in Sanskrit plays was known as a Sudahara, the holder of strings. Wayang is a strong tradition of puppetry native of Indonesia, especially in Java and Bali. In Java, Wayang, I don't even know how to say that one, an elaborate form of shadow puppetry is very popular. 
Javanese rod puppets have a long history and are used to tell fables from Javanese history. Another popular puppetry form in Indonesia is Wayang Golek. So the whole idea behind Asia's experience with puppets seems to base on the idea of ritualistic teachings or spiritual teachings, Basically. mostly because of their influence from India, which we know is a very uh, spiritual place or very, they, you know, they're very spiritualistic compared to our society now where, you know, we don't take things super serious. We still kill cows. They see yeah. cows as more sacred and refuse to eat it. So in China, they have a history of puppetry dating back 3,000 years originally in Pongyangzi, the theater of the Lantern of Shadows, or it is most commonly known today, Chinese Shadow Theater. By the mm -hmm. Song Dynasty 960-1279 AD, puppets played to all social classes, including the courts, yet puppeteers, as in Europe, were considered to be from a lower social uh, stratum. In Taiwan, Bulexi, Puppet shows, somewhat similar to the Japanese bunraka, occur with puppeteers working in the background or underground. Some very experienced puppeteers can manipulate their puppets to perform various stunts, for example, somersaults in the air. Mm -hmm. So I, at one point, I'm pretty sure we're all kids, we've all been up at night, seeing that our hand reflecting through a light creates a shadow, and then we can make a shadow puppet, and we would make some pretty cool figures. I remember mm -hmm. the common reindeer... And then also being able, I used to do this guy, it looks like a, it looks like a tiki statue, where I would do my hands like this, or no, like this, and these are his, these are his hands, and this is like his crown, is his hair, so it was like, it was pretty cool, and you know, that would be hours and hours of just a non-stop yeah. enjoyment way after my bedtime, which was the best, because once everything got shut off at a certain time, you're like, what am I going to do? Yeah. I have my nightlight, start making shadow puppets, thinking, you know, it's like four hours later, and you're waking up two hours later for school and you're like, ah, oh, I shouldn't have done that. The, uh, the Boon Rocky puppets that they were talking about in that part, um, the Boon Rocky puppets are really neat because they are completely poseable and they have multiple, multiple people controlling them, upwards of seven to eight, depending on how uh, difficult it is to operate. Uh, the cool thing about them is, is uh, you've seen like those uh, ninja films like Fl uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yeah. They actually can make the puppets do the crazy stunts like you see in that movie. Because each individual part has a rod attached to it. And each individual person has a part to play in moving that puppet. So they can literally make this... I mean, they're, they're huge, like this big. So imagine that for a minute. You've, if you think about it, you've got rod attached to every part. They can literally have the puppet jump up and attack somebody really easily with all the rods connected like that. You made me think of a really good... Um thing in uh where they use in parades and stuff the year of the dragon they have mm -hmm. all those people under that one suit and they use rods to kind of move it along that's a form of puppetry it is it's creating an inanimate object out of using movements from yourself yeah that's one of the best things about puppets is that they're all shapes sizes and types and those kind of puppets are um full body puppets do you believe it's a good idea for self-expression Oh, absolutely. Do you believe, like, it's another way, like, if someone's, you see some people that might be super shy, but then they get behind the puppet, and when the puppet starts talking, and you wouldn't know that that person was shy. That's kind of how I am. But they I can mean, only talk when that puppet is there. Oh, no. Um, no, I, I know of a couple people that are like that. Um, I had a friend of mine who was extremely quiet, and as soon as you got her with a puppet, the puppet was doing all the talking. Um, I lived with her for a while. But um, it was it was interesting. Your group of friends is a little bit different than my group of friends, and that's what makes this a wonderful experience, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. 
So, Japan has many forms of puppetry, including the bunraku. Bunraku developed out of the Shino temple rites and gradually became a highly sophisticated form of puppetry. Chamastiku Mozamon, considered by many to be Japan's greatest playwright, gave up writing kabaki plays and focused exclusively on the puppet-only bunraku plays. So initially, consisting of one puppeteer by 1730, three puppeteers were used to operate each puppet in a full mm -hmm. view of the audience. There it the is. puppeteers, who dressed all in black, would become invisible when standing against a black background, while the torches illuminated only the carved, painted, and costumed wooden puppets. So in Korea, the tradition of puppetry is thought to have come from China. The oldest historical evidence of puppetry in Korea comes from a letter written in 982 AD from Chao Sung Ro to the king in Korean. The word for the puppet is kunshak gashi. Gashi means a bride or a young woman, which was the most common form the dolls took. A kungashi puppet play has eight scenes. So Thailand has a hung crock cheese. Thailand has a hung crock bok a rod puppet theater, which is the most popular form of puppetry. So it seems like in Korea, their baseline for popularity with puppets is in theater. Japan's more on the lines of kind of like wooden puppets, but also more types of painted. Um, mm -hmm. And then China seems to focus more on the idea of using it to entertain as well with social classes and standards of that sort. When the top one really seems like the, the, the Mahabraha, which is from Indonesia, that style of Asia is more like the fact of just using it for religious experiences. Yeah. So, Vietnam developed the art form of water puppetry that is unique to that country. Do you know what water puppetry is? I actually don't. So, the puppets are built out of wood, <clears throat> and the shows are performed in a waist-high pool. A large rod under the water is used by the puppeteers to support and control the puppets. The appearance is created of the puppets moving over water. The origin of this form of puppetry dates back 700 years when the rice fields would flood and the villagers would entertain each other, eventually resulting in a puppet show. Competition between villages. This led to the puppet societies becoming secretive and exclusive. That's fucking crazy. Can you believe that there might be a secret puppet society where, you know, we talk about the New World Order yeah. where we're kind of puppets being controlled by one giant puppet master controller if you're going to get into that. But imagine a secret society filled with puppets, a bunch of people under table, like a stone round table, and then there's puppets sitting at the chairs in black hoods. It's just like you walk into the room and you just say, what do you want? You're like, fuck, wrong room, my bad, I'm going. Yeah, I'm going to back out of this room. So, India. India has a long tradition of puppetry in the ancient Indian epic Mahabharata. There are references to puppets. The Ratnashi puppet from India is notable and there are many Indian ventriloquists and puppeteers. The first Indian ventriloquist, Professor Y.K. Paddy, introduced the form of puppetry to India in the 1920s and his son Ramdas Paddy subsequently popularized ventriloquism and puppetry. Almost all types of puppets are found in India. Mm -hmm. So some string puppets. India has a rich and ancient tradition of string puppets or marionettes. Marionettes have jointed limbs controlled by strings allow far greater flexibility and are therefore the most articulate of the puppets. Ratnash, Orissa, Karnatanka, and Tamil Nadu are some of the regions where this form of puppetry has flourished. 
The traditional marionettes of Rakshasan are known as Kathputu. Carved from a single piece of wood, these puppets are like large dolls that are col colorfully dressed. The string puppets of Orissa are known as Kundi. The string puppets of Karnataka are called Kombetia. Puppets from Tamil Nadu, known as Bomolatin, combine the techniques of both rod and string puppets. I just want some credit for trying to read that, because that was very yeah. freaking difficult. You're doing a good job. I, I like the uh, pronunciation. I, there's probably some person from India out there that's like this guy. We mean no offense by butchering words today. No offense. So, shadow puppets. India has a variety of types and styles of shadow puppets. Shadow puppets are flat figures cut out of leather, which have been treated to make it translucent. Shadow puppets are pressed against the screen with a strong source of light behind it. The manipulation between the light and the screen makes silhouettes of colorful shadows, as this case may be for the viewers who sit in front of the screen. This tradition of shadow puppets survives in a lot of those places I talked about before. I'm not repeating those names. And it is a tradition of shadow puppetry that is unique to Kerala, India. So, the shadow theater of Karnataka is known as Togalugu or Togalu Gombetia. So these puppets are mostly small in size. The puppets, however, differ in size according to their social status. For instance, large size for kings and religious characters and smaller size for common people or peasants or servants. That's a whole that's ego a, that's issue. A whole oh, yeah. That's definitely. an ego issue for sure. I mean, you want to show off the biggest, baddest puppet as being big and bad, not small and feeble. We also, you have to remember that back in the day, if you missed, if you messed up with the king... He'd take your head off. Oh, yeah. Regardless. Off of his head. So, rod puppets. Rod puppets are an extension of glove puppets, but often much larger and supported and manipulated by rods from below. This form of puppetry now is found mostly in West Bengal and Orissa. The traditional rod puppet from West Bengal is known as Puto Notch. They are carved from wood and follow the various artistic styles of a particular region. The traditional rod puppet of Bihar is known as Yampuri. So glove puppets. Glove puppets are also known as sleeve, hand, or palm puppets. The head is made of either paper mache, cloth, or wood, with two hands emerging from just below the neck. The rest of the figure consists of a long flowing skirt. These puppets are like limp dolls, but in the hands of an able puppeteer are capable of producing a wide range of movements. The manipulation technique is simple because the movements are controlled by the human hand, the first finger inserted in the head, and the middle finger, and the thumb that are the two arms of the puppet. With the help of these three fingers, the glove puppet comes alive. Yeah. So, we, we see it in Afghanistan as well, but in a very small form. It's produced a form of puppetry known as booze-baz. During a performance, a puppeteer will simultaneously operate a marionette of a makor while playing a dambura, so a drum. Yeah. So, there wasn't much on Afghanistan's influence there. Um, there's also such places I won't really dive into too much del delve onto those. is uh, West Asia. And we got Europe, ancient Greece and Rome. That's where a lot of um, the names for um, puppets like gets translated into the Greek things. Mm -hmm. um, like nervos pastos, which means drawn by strings or string pulling. From nevron, meaning either sinew, tendon, muscle string, or wire. You think the idea of puppets on a string were connected through maybe a, a physicist? 
that was thinking about how the muscles contract and work much like strings, like the muscle flexing, the tendons, creating a form. That's possible. Um, a lot of our art comes from Greek culture. Yeah. It's most of it. Mathematics was developed there. Literature, all these forms, like Socrates was a big influence, a big philosopher that created a lot of passionate stuff. And he actually rejected the art of the written word, basically. Like, he did yeah. not want written word. He said it was basically a written mistake. So, it's, it, it's, it's crazy, especially with Italy dealing with the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. But, um, like, in ancient Greece, there were ancient Rome clay dolls and a few of ivory dated back from around 500 B.C., where in children's tombs, these dolls had articulated arms and legs and, in some cases, an iron rod extending up from the tops of their heads. This rod was used to manipulate the doll from above. As it is done today in Sicilian puppetry, a few of these dolls had strings in place of rods. Some researchers believe these ancient figures were simply toys and not puppets due to their small size. You know the um, the statue of Villanova? The statue of Villanova. It's seen in Hellboy, that giant yeah. big woman statue that he pushes over. Yeah. Well, that um, is seen, they thought that was a real, a ritualistic um, thing. I, originally, they thought it meant fertility. Yeah. But now they think it was some type of child's toy. They believe the philosophers or archaeologists that found it actually got it wrong, um, which happens a lot. It's hard to yeah. predate something and then t tell you exactly what time period it came from and give you an estimate. And hard to tell what it was, was a lot of like the stuff buried with the Egyptians, were they seen as prizes, gifts, or used for ritualistic things? We'll never really know because we didn't surprising. live in that. It's not surprising because our view on the world changes every day. Um, it takes one minute... Um, molecule in some cases to change our entire outlook on an entire topic of our history even species as as a whole the changes constantly it's beautiful so when i say italy what do you think of i think of the box theater sets with the marionettes personally i think of spaghetti but i met I'm with not, puppets yeah i, <laughs> I know one of them eating um realistically italy is not one of my strong suits well, with Italy, it's considered to be many of the early form of marionette due to their influence of Roman puppetry. So the Christian church used marionettes to perform morality plays. It is believed that the word marionette originates from the little figures of the Virgin Mary, hence the word marionette, or Mary doll. Comedy was introduced to the plays as the time went by and ultimately led to the church etiquette banning puppetry. Puppets responded by setting up stages outside cathedrals and became even more ribald and slapstick. Out of this grew the Italian comedy called Commedia dell'arte. Puppets were used in times in this form of theater and sometimes in Shakespeare's play, where they performed using marionettes instead of actors. In Sicily, the sides of donkey carts are decorated with intricate painted scenes from the Frankish romantic poems, such as The Strong Road of Roland. So these same tales are enacted in traditional puppet theaters featuring handmade marionettes of wood. In Sicilian, this is called Opera de Pupi, or Opera of the Puppets. And the Sicilian tradition of the castroneta, the word for the storyteller, are rooted by the provincial troubadour tradition in Sicily during the reign of Frederick II, Holy Roman Emperor in the first half of the 13th century. So France uses it too. A main uh, French puppet show known as the Guggenau 
which was come to bear his name. Although often thought of as a children's entertainment, Guggenau's sharp wit and lewinistic verve have always been appreciated by adults as well. As shown by the motto of a prominent Leon Trout, Guggenau amuses children and witty adults. Many, it seems like France adopted more of a modern version of puppetry, mm-hmm. using it in more modern times rather than how these were used in such ancient times, back in like the Middle Ages and Renaissance, dating back to ancient history, such as Egypt and yeah. all those. France seems like it more developed around the time when they were able to actually have their own shows. So there's obviously big influences in Great Britain that stem from 1957 mm-hmm. to 1969. Um, that it mostly used in opera scenarios. <clears throat> Basically, it seemed as a way to teach the high class. It really wasn't focused on the yeah. idea of uh, really appreciating to the less fortunate. Um, mostly because they had work to do. That's what the basis was. They yeah. had work to do, and the people that were rich didn't have to work. So let's talk about the contemporary era. Do you know what the contemporary area is? It's like the nowadays times. Yep. Well, from the early in the 19th century, puppetry began to inspire artists from the high art traditions. In 1810, Heinrich von Kleist wrote an essay on the marionette theater admiring the lack of self-consciousness of the puppet. Puppetry developed through the 20th century in a variety of ways, supported by the parallel development of cinema. Television and other filmed media, it now reaches a larger audience than ever. Another development starting at the beginning of the century was the belief that puppet theater, despite its popular and folk roots, could speak to an adult audiences with an adult and experimental voice and reinvigorate the high art tradition of actors' theater. Mm-hmm. Puppets. So, Sergei Oberostov explored the concept of Kulumanost, which is puppetness, despite Joseph Stalin's incidents on realism, other pioneers, including Edward Gordon Craig and Erwin Piscator, were influenced by puppetry in their crusade to rejuvenize, that's not revolutionize, it's rejuvenize. Rejuvenize. No, it's not that either. The mainstream, it's, I'm pretty sure it's regalvenize, 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 the mainstream. Unless this article has a typo. So, Maeterlinck, Shaw, Lorca, and others wrote puppet plays as artists such as Picasso, Jerry, and Ligar began to work in theater. Craig's concept of the Uber Marionette, which is German, in which the director treats the actors like objects, has been highly influential on the contemporary object theater and physical theater. Tadgus Cantor frequently substituted actors for puppets or combined the two and conducted each performance from the edge of the stage in some ways familiar to puppeteering. Mm-hmm. So Cantor influenced a new formal generation of directors such as Richard Foreman and Robert Wilson who were concerned with the object in theoretical terms. So putting it on stage and finding different ways of looking at it. Inventory puppeteers such as Tony Stark, Waldo Lanchester, John Wright, Bill Baird, Joan Bakesis, Sergei Ostrov, Philip Genty, Peter Schumann, Dacha Aragate, Jim Henson, David Pumji, and Julie Tamer have also continued to develop the forms and contents of puppetry, so that the phase puppet theater is no longer limited to traditional forms of marionettes or gloves or rod puppets. Directors and companies like Peter Schumann of Bread and Puppet Theater, Bob Firth of 
Horse in the Bamboo Theater and Sandy Spieler of the Heart in the Beast and Mask Theater has also combined mask and puppet theater where the performer puppets are objects as integrated within a large visually theater world that minimizes the use of spoken language. The Jim Henson Foundation founded by puppeteer Muppet creator Jim Henson is a philanthropic charitable organization created to promote and develop puppetry in the United States. It has bestowed 440 grants to innovative puppet theater artists, puppetry troops in the early 21st century, such as Homegrown Theater in Boys, Idaho, and continue the Avante Grante satirical tradition for millennials. That was a lot in a couple paragraphs. So yeah, pretty I appreciate much. you letting my errors slip. So, did you know that gay rights activists used puppets known in the 1990s with puppets uh, Sheila and Tekka? I haven't heard about that, actually. It's the, um, this led to the questioning of Burton Ernie in 2013. Ah, okay. So a lot of people say that Sesame Street's Burton Ernie was based on the whole idea that they were two guys living together, that they were gay, and it was just never mm -hmm. spoken. They had sudden jokes and slept in the same bed. One would always be like, kind of play the woman-type role, and the other would play the guy-type role. Like, Ernie, why don't you talk to me? You know, that whole thing. Yeah. Well, that led from Sheka and Tekka, which is like a more dumbed-down version of the show, but the, it, the puppets were actually gay, and they had a kid at one point. And that's, that's when it got controversial, because they were like, two gay people can't have a kid. And, you know, it was just another reason for society to freak out about something. It wasn't until recently that the whole Ernie and Bert debate became, like, a huge thing. It, it happened a couple years back when they were doing the whole... I, I don't even remember what the, uh, what the movement was called exactly online. But you saw, like, all the people posting the rainbow flag as their, as their profile picture on Facebook. That whole thing. They put Ernie and Bert into it. Everyone's talking about how Ernie and Bert are gay. And, I mean, if that's what you want to believe... That's fine. Um, one of the original writers for Sesame Street... Said that Street, wasn't the thing. Yeah. It, it wasn't the thing. Um, one of the original writers for Ernie and Bert on Sesame Street, they came forward in a interview within the last... I think it was been the last year. And um, <clears throat> they said that they based all of the scripts for Ernie and Bert off of their real-life relationship with a director who was male. He was male as well. Um, however... The rest of the writing team that's still around from Sesame Street came in to shut that down quick, saying, hey, um, that's not the case, because we were on the writing team too, and you didn't have 100% say on what any of this stuff was. It's the whole idea of someone wanting something to have a deep, dark secret behind it. Exactly. Um, if anybody really wants to look up deep, dark secrets about stuff or anything, they, they can easily type it in and find a bunch of stuff on the government, first of all. Exactly. But the whole idea... Do you feel that you've learned a little bit more about this, a little bit about puppets that you might not have known, or a lot of it seemed like it was like bolstering your memory, kind of on the a lot of it in general? A lot of it's mostly empty gaps, especially with the, um, I, I'm more familiar with American puppetry history and European history with puppetry. Um, Do you find it cool that all cultures can kind of delve into the realm of puppetry? It's not just seen in one place? I think it's very cool how it started and then it spread. Because you, you you don't have a very clear and defined start point, but it from India it spread off into the east and west of um, Europe, and then it went overseas into America. I think it's cool to see it spread out like that, because you don't see that very often. Much like a pathogen, it just kind of spread and infected everybody. Pretty much. Everybody got the itch for the puppetry. Pretty much. That sounds, that sounds really cool, actually.
You can use it if you want. I, I might have to. I might have to use that. You can itch your puppet's back, but your puppet can't itch your back. That's unfortunate, but it's true. Exactly. So, my whole last question for you wrapping up this episode is, mm-hmm. do you believe that puppets are beneficial to one social interaction? Oh, absolutely. They're a bridge. Uh, they're a bridge that can bring you into other people's worlds. Um, as soon as you put that puppet onto your hand, you enter into a world of whimsy. And people... Creativity. Yeah, it's creativity. It's a whole Much like a, an artist playing a song, um, a guy using a puppet is just a form of art, a way mm-hmm. he can get out his unspoken word. Absolutely. Well, Harry, I appreciate you coming on the podcast and introducing us into the world, or at least enlightening us about the world of puppetry. And hopefully I gave it as much credit as, you know, seriousness as someone should on a subject this matter. If anybody didn't like uh, any of the information I gave or didn't really understand it, I guarantee you just look it up yourself um, Mm -hmm. and educate yourself more on puppets and you might have a different perspective view on it. Absolutely. Thanks for being on this episode of Fill in the Blank and stay tuned for our next episode. Pleasure.